Let's begin here again, Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now there, there we have it, a perfect picture of the love of God. It is Jesus being sent for our re- redemption and our salvation. It is Him bearing our punishment on the cross and Him doing that for us while we were in an unworthy, unholy state. And so uh, this love that we're talking about is, is not for wimps. True love is, is, is not for weak people. It's not for the faint of heart. It is, it is something that uh, takes a strength of character. It takes some uh, fortitude to, to, to live in. Because when someone's operating in the love of God, how many know that they do not react and respond to attack and criticism like people who, don't, who aren't living in this love do? I mean, the typical way for a person to respond takes no strength, takes no character. In other words, you attack me, I attack you. You hurt me, I hurt you. You say something about me, I say something back about you. You know what I'm talking about? That's how the flesh works. That's how this world works. That's this worldly kind of love. The love of God is not that way. That's why it takes a strong person to live in it. To take a, to take a pop from someone else and uh, blow it off. You know, to, to have someone cut you off while you're driving down the street and you don't get all riled up. It's like, eh, whatever. How many know that you can see a whole lot of maturity the more we stop caring about what other people think? The more people can speak against us or do things wrong and we just kind of blow it off and like, ah, eh, whatever, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to let them occupy my time, not going to let them occupy my brain, and uh, I'm just going to keep going and loving God and enjoying life. But it takes a mature person to do that. You know, there's so, so many things people get angry about these days, and I'm not talking about the righteous kind of anger we talked about a few days, uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, I'm talking about people just often so quick to be angry with other people. Do you see what they said about me? see what they did? you see what they thought? you see that look they gave you? They meant this, they thought this, and it's so, people get so caught up with what others think and say and do, and they're not enjoying life. And when we can get into this thing, the love of God, I mean, think about God's life in heaven. He's a happy guy. And yet there's so much, I mean, people are denouncing him and cursing him and rejecting him, and he just wants to love people, yet he's still happy because he doesn't get caught up in that. What are we doing? You know, what are we doing with each other? I imagine there's a decent number of people here today that are just not really happy in life. Not happy at home. Not happy on the job. And so much of it is what other people have said, what other people have done. And and we've got to grow up and have some maturity and get beyond that level of living where we just kind of blow things off. You did this to me, but I just want to bless you anyway. You know what I'm talking about? It's talking about being, uh, not being an expert in evil, not being uh, just a, a, a studied person in ill intent. And I can recognize a, uh, someone's wrong motive from a mile away. Hmm. I'd rather be able to recognize someone's right motive. 
You know, to, to, to the point where, you know, if someone slapped you across the face, you're so, you know, what might appear to be gullible or, or uh, what's another word there? Naive, that's the word I'm looking for. So naive that, uh, that you just say, oh, you must have tripped. You must have tripped because your hand accidentally slipped out of your pocket there and, and came sliding across my face. You okay? Say, well, that's just naive. Or, or maybe, maybe it's a choice. Maybe it's a choice to say, you know, I'm going to give someone the benefit of the doubt. I'm just going to lean towards, you know, giving people a break. And I'm going to, and even if they did do it on purpose, I don't really care that they did it on purpose. I'm going to love them back anyway. And if they mean to harm me, then uh, I'm just going to forget about it. Because why would I want them to ruin my day? Anyway, just a new thought for you. It's called love. It's called the love of God. It's called Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And that's more than a slap in the face. Huh? He said, forgive them. Forgive them. We'll get into that stuff a little bit later. But true love, again, is for a person of strength. It's not that when we're operating in the love of God, we're just kind of weak people, wimpy people, and we're not, we just run over by life. No, it takes a strong person to treat someone else right when they've treated you wrong. It takes a strong person to forgive when someone has really tried to, to harm you. You know, Jesus would deal with things in individuals' lives, and it wasn't always encouraging. It wasn't always propping them up and saying, you know, you can do it, and, and, and magnifying the good characteristics about that person's life. Many times he would just cut to the chase and get to the issue of what was hurting people of what was harming them, what was keeping them back from moving forward in life. And he would talk to them about that. And, and, and you know, nowadays people might think that's just, you know, a, a bad way to deal with people. But you remember one day he was at uh, the well. We, we call it the woman at the well that he was talking to there. It's John chapter 4. And he began to speak to her about living water and uh, and and about himself, and and in the middle of the conversation, he says, where's your husband? She said, well, I don't have a husband. And he starts operating in what we now know is called the word of knowledge, all right? It's revelation concerning the past or present. And and he, Jesus has a word of knowledge. He looks back at her and says, yeah, you don't have a husband. You have had five husbands, by the way. You've been divorced five times, and now you're shacked up with another guy, and you're not even married. Now, how did Jesus know that? Well, that's through revelation of the Spirit. So God told him what was going on in that woman's life, and it wasn't positive. You know, he, he didn't get that revelation say, Oh, I see men have really treated you wrong in life, haven't they? <laughs> and, uh, and you've really had a tough go at it. He just cut right down to it and said, Oh, no, this has been your, you've got a lot of relationship issues, uh, all your marriages, and now you're doing this. A- and he pointed to that. And I think that's interesting. Love pointed out her problem. Would love point out your problem? Say, no, love would only tell me that I'm right with God. No, it wouldn't. Not if that's not your problem. Love will help us with solution. Love will identify what's the stumbling block in our lives so we can remove it and go forward. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's kind of like if, uh, if I loan you some money... Maybe you're struggling to pay me back. I may 
choose to forgive your debt. You may come to me or I may come to you and say, you know what, you owe me this money, just forget about it. No big deal. Um, act like you, you know, it was never there. Uh, we're going to wipe out that debt. From now on, you owe me zero. Now, I just forgave your debt. But does that mean that if I'm your friend, I won't have anything else to say? See, I think as your friend, I might inquire a little bit more as to your finances. And say, what are you, what's, what's going on here? What are you doing? I see you're, you know, you're spending money on this and you're not spending money on this and you're doing this. See, as a friend, I'm still going to get in your business a little bit to help you to not end up in that same situation again. And this is where God will help us. See, forgiveness? Absolutely. God doesn't impute our sins to us. I'm so thankful for that. Even if He has a word of, of correction or instruction to me, He's not imputing my sin to me. That's already been put on Jesus at the cross. So my right standing with God is a constant. That doesn't go away. But He's still, in His love for me, going to deal with and talk to me about things that are giving me trouble. Things that I'm doing, things that I'm believing, things that I'm saying things that are wrong because they will end up in my own suffering. So love doesn't just forgive the sin and now you're on your own, keep falling over, you know, tripping over your own feet the rest of your life and making mistakes. But I'll forgive you again. No, I, the grace of God is given not only to wipe away the past, but grace is given to set up, set us up for success, to help us to live in victory. Okay, it is to help us and show us how to live in Christ, even though, again, our sins are not being imputed to us. Praise the Lord. So, 2 Timothy chapter 3, let's see the work of the Spirit here. 2 Timothy chapter 3, notice verse 16, it reads, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, now stop there for a moment. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. What does that mean? Another way to say that is, it is God-breathed. God used individuals. He gave them the inspiration to write and to record words that would reveal God's heart. It would reveal His plan. It would show us His ways so we could walk with Him, so we could have a relationship with Him. All right? So the Scriptures, written by man, inspired by God, they contain the very words of God so that we can be helped. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Thank God this, the Word of God will profit us. It will benefit us if we'll receive it though. If I reject it, not going to help me at all. But it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So outside of the Scripture, I will not be complete... And I will not be thoroughly equipped or prepared to do good things. I need this instruction. I need this help. Now, now think about it for a moment. Does the Holy Spirit work apart from or in connection with the words of God? See, they work, they work, they're, they're the same. The Word and the Spirit, they agree. The, the, the Scripture was given by inspiration of God. In other words, what is that talking about? That's the Holy Spirit's work right there. He inspired people. So these words are the words of the Holy Spirit. And what they're intended to do is the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And so they're given for doctrine. Now, now doctrine is like a, it's just a systematic uh, or organized information. It's a set of beliefs 
we're given doctrine. We, in other words, we can we we can uh, have these belief this belief system in our lives that will help us. The Scripture will do that for us. If we don't have that, we don't have any boundaries. We don't have any guidelines to tell us what's right and what's wrong, what's true and what's false. Um, it, it's given for reproof. The word reproof there it means to convict or it means to rebuke. Okay, the the New International Version reads this way: All Scripture is God breathed. And, is, and it is useful for teaching and rebuking. Teaching and, and rebuking. So, in other words, someone said, well, the Holy Spirit would never do that. Well, yeah, yeah, He would. In fact, has and does. Is He gives us words for our prophet. Everybody say, my prophet. Now, the rest of you say, my prophet, too. Two. All right. <laughs> I didn't want you to get left out of there. Come all this way out of church on a nice day. Might as well profit out of this, huh? Get a benefit? All right. The Holy Spirit gives us words, uh, gives us a belief system, a structure of, of belief. He gives us uh, words that will bring conviction or at times rebuke. And is that a good thing? Absolutely is a good thing. Why is that? Because He's doing it for my profit. In other words, why would He, just because He forgave me, let me continue going down the wrong path? Now, you're forgiven of going down this path, but I'm not going to say anything about it. Because I don't talk about negative stuff. No, God is what? Love. And love will help us by telling us the way things are. All right, correction then. Correction's a good thing. That's, of course, restoration to an upright state. I was crooked, and God didn't just say, I'm not mad at your crookedness anymore. I forgive you for your crookedness. He does. Thank God. I'm not condemned for being crooked. But you know what he also does? Corrects. He says, forgiven, and now here. Here's a word for you. Straighten up. Knock that off. Do this. This will set your life right. It'll help you to experience me and, 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 and all, all of you know, life that works, basically. Okay? So... He wants to give us correction. Is, is correction a good thing in our lives? Yeah, unless you like being crooked. Unless you like being messed up, unless you enjoy doing the wrong thing, stumbling and fall, falling repeatedly, correction is a very good thing. It's a desirable thing. And the love of God will give it to you. The love of God, if, if you're going in the wrong direction, will get in your business, will get in your face and say, knock it off. Huh? Not, not condemning you over it, but being real serious. And be real firm and say, knock that off. You need to go this direction. I love you enough to tell you the truth. Okay, look at um, 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter. Notice verse 2. Paul, writing this letter to Timothy, he said, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Here's what you're supposed to do, Tim. Convince, rebuke. Exhort with all long suffering and teaching. How many know if we are ever going to have genuine, deep relationships with both God, how He relates to us, and with each other, we've got to have an openness to discuss real life. We cannot just avoid all the uncomfortable subjects, act like they don't exist. Bury our head in the sand, say, everything's fine, everything's good. You know, we're at church, we plaster our, our Christian smile on, and, and, and we never deal with it with real life. 
in real relationships and, and, and people who are in various levels of maturity and blowing it at times and doing the wrong thing, we won't ever deal with that because everything's perfect. No, the very fact that the Spirit would inspire the Scriptures and inspire a word to preachers and others to convince, rebuke, exhort, to correct, to do these things is an indication that even though people can be perfect in Christ and absolutely forgiven in Him, they have other issues that need dealt with. And we need to recognize that we are spiritually complete, but physically and emotionally a work in progress. And sometimes that work in progress needs a little rattling. It needs a little boat tipping over. It needs a little shake. I, I, I try to do that sometimes in, in different messages. If you're around, you know I do that. I try to do it with healing. And people who've been, you know, standing for years believing for their healing. I try to shake them up and sometimes they don't like me for it. But it's like... I love you enough to try to rattle you out of this, this condition where you're not making a connection with God and, you know, thinking that somehow that's God's will. You know, because that's not working. It's just not working. It can't get any worse than that. <laughs> and so I'll say things to rattle and shake to hopefully break them out of that rut. Anybody happy today? Anybody? anybody? All right, lock the back doors. This is one of those messages. Um, some beliefs and actions are really harmful. And love will deal with them. But notice how it will deal with them. What did Paul say here? With all long-suffering and teaching. In other words, not like a club. Not like beating people over the head. We're not trying to tell anyone you're just a waste of flesh and you're just a pathetic life. No, 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 no. Loved and valued by God. Jesus shed His very life and blood for you. But knock it off. It's time to raise our game. It's time to up the standard. It's time to make some adjustments so you can, ex- you can start walking with God, experiencing his, his best, and stop letting this world run you over. See, that's the love of God in action. Love of God will shoot you straight, like I've said a, a number of times already in this series. Let's go over to Mark chapter 4. Mark the fourth chapter. It's interesting, as I study the Word and as I've prefaced some of these messages, how Jesus dealt with people and how He would deal with with individuals that were doing wrong. We talked about how, last week, how He dealt with hypocrites and how He was very strong against them. And, And there is, does seem to be a greater expectation that He placed on those who walked with Him. All right, those who knew him, who were with him every day, they, they were involved in the ministry, in the in the healings. They were involved in his teaching, and 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 they saw so many things and were involved with it. And and when they, you know, didn't respond appropriately to situations, Jesus would get on their case for it. Not because he's having a bad day. No, he would get on his case, on their case for their benefit, because they should be here. You know. You should be in fifth grade, but you're still in third grade. He expected them to rise up at a faster level. I wonder, and again, this is not talking about sin and right standing with God, but I wonder what expectation could be on us. Where ought you to be? To what level should you be experiencing God and being used by Him and walking with Him every day? With some of you, this is like the first you've heard, okay? There's really no expectation just coming in, and you can see how this is going to work. But for some of us who've been 
you know, saved for a while, I think it's a worthy checkup. Where should I be? You know, Paul told the, the Hebrews over there, Hebrews uh, 6, or Hebrews 5, the end of the chapter there, he said, by this time, you guys should be teachers. You should, in other words, you should be explaining this stuff to other people, and yet here, I'm starting over with you. I'm going to te- go back and teach you the very basics. Now, he wasn't complimenting them. He was saying, you guys should be further than this. You should be, beyond- you should be explaining this th- these things to others, yet you don't even know it yourself. So it wasn't a real strong word, so he went through and took him through it and said, here's the basics here, and this is, this is what's going on. But we should look at ourselves sometimes. You know, you've been a believer for a long time. Where ought you be? I'm not passing that judgment on you, but I'm telling you, God will shoot us straight, and he'll tell us where we ought to be. And in times when we should be in a different place, we should be at a higher level, I'm thankful he'll get honest about it. He's not beating us up. It's not condemnation. Don't go there. It's love. It's correction. It's rebuke. It's instruction in righteousness. All right, Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Talking about the sea there. Uh, Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now, now, now does anybody see anything wrong with that statement? Now, think about it. You're saying, put yourself in that situation, you're saying to Jesus, Jesus, God, eternity past, lays that aside, becomes a man, lives in a dirty, rotten world with sin and rebellion and you know, the limitations of the physical body and all for the purpose of redeeming people who were unworthy. And he's about to go to the cross and he's doing all this. I don't know. I'm thinking, that's not a good question to ask him. Jesus, don't you care? (laughs) Totally inappropriate. Uh, Anyway, Verse 39, then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, you guys, I know you're struggling with whether, you know, you're valuable to me. I just want to reinforce that I love you and I care for you. (laughs) Right? Is that what it said? Did I read that wrong? He missed that again. But he said to them, why are you so fearful and how is it? That you have no faith. And I have an inkling that he said it stronger than I just did. He rebukes the wind and the storm and they listen. And then he turns to his disciples who are questioning whether he cares for them. And he is on some kind of serious mission to get their butts out of hell. Right? He, they're questioning his love for them. He gets right in their face and said, why are you afraid? What's the deal with your, your little faith here? Let's up the game, you guys. He expected them to know better. He expected them, even though apparently they hadn't been in this situation before, for them to believe God and believe Him and be at rest. 
I mean, just a thought. I know this is not popular, but could it be that the Lord Jesus, maybe being the same yesterday, today, and forever, could possibly, by His Spirit, say something like this to you and me? When we're dealing with life and we've allowed ourselves to drift back into this world and be afraid and, and, and have that kind of response, could it be that instead of Him just going, you know, saying something, ah, it's been a hard day, I know. I still love you. That maybe, maybe he would get in our, our business and say, what's your problem here? Say, oh, that's condemnation. No, it's not. It's help. It's love to say, what's your deal here? You ought to be believing me. You ought to be at peace and at rest and not be afraid of this situation. Because you know better. Now, if you don't know better yet, that's understandable. But let's giddy up. Let's come on up. Let's grow up. And let's walk with God the way we're supposed to. Go, go to Matthew 14. Similar situation, another storm going on over here. Matthew 14. Notice, uh, this is a situation that they were in the storm and Jesus wasn't with them and He came walking on the water. Okay? That ought to help. Matthew 14, 28, And Peter answered and said to Him, Lord, if it is You... Come to me, or command me, to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Verse 30. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, You had a good one going there for a while, Peter. Let me just encourage you for a moment. You were walking on water. Nice. I mean, these other turkeys never got out of the boat, but you were walking on the water. Good job, Peter. Next time you're going to do it a little bit longer, I bet. And he, well, some would say, well, what would be wrong with that? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that's not what Jesus said. What did he say? Oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? Now, how many know today, at least in our country, I think people would have a little complex. They would be, oh, here, here he goes again. Now it's my faith again. <laughs> Every little thing I do wrong. Here Jesus talking about my little puny faith. And, uh, I mean, I was walking on the water. No one else was walking on the water. I was walking on the water. And uh, couldn't I at least get a good job or, uh, you know, appreciate you taking a step of faith and good job, Peter, next time you'll do better. But no, no. All he says is little faith. Where's your, your why, why are you so doubtful? Uh, and people, they need weeks of counseling to get over this. I'm just not feeling very good about myself anymore. Well, why? I've been verbally abused. By who? By Jesus. I mean, I just can't catch a break from Him. Every time I try to do something. I mean, one time I had a revelation. And He did, you know, say some good things there. He said, you're a rock and, you know, way to go. You got that from the Father. Uh, revelation about the Christ. But then uh, just a little bit later, all of a sudden He's looking at me calling me the devil. He said, so he looked at me and said, get behind me, Satan. What am I to do with this? 
But thank God he didn't take it that way. And hopefully we won't be that insecure, be that weak, where we can't handle a word that will challenge us to change. See, if I'm not experiencing God in full level, full glory every day, I need to change something. God doesn't need to change something. If His promises, they're God's promises, if His promises aren't coming to pass in my life always, every day, then what needs to happen? Something needs to change. And it's not God. And that would be a reason why He would give me a word that was strong, corrective, rebuke, or something like that. It's so that I can come up and experience Him instead of being satisfied with where I'm at. And I tell you what, too many people, especially too many Christians in our day, in our land, they are so satisfied with routine of religion without an experience with God. Their life is not much different today than before they were saved, other than they got some peace in their heart and you know made some behavioral adjustments. But not much different as far as the God of the universe being on the inside indwelling them what's the potential of our lives well if we settle for the status quo and well this is what it looks like to be a christian how do you know because that's the way my parents were that's where this other that's what they told me at this church and that's what they said over here this is what it looks like and it's powerless is it's there's no life effectual change and we get comfortable with that yeah this is the way it is And then if ever a strong word comes that will prod us and move us to change, to do something drastically different, we resist it and say, ah, I don't don't accept that. I'm I'm not comfortable. I'm not comfortable there. And in our country, now watch, we've got churches everywhere. I don't mean we don't need more. We do need some more good ones. (laughs) But the reality is there's There's options. And so if a person is not committed to moving forward in their life, to having spiritual progress, they will quickly back off from anything that challenges them. And if I hear a word that's against me or or challenging me or, or moving me to change, you know, they'll call it condemnation, they'll 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 say you know, things like that, and they'll remove themselves from that word which was designed to help and lift them. Does that make sense? I think we need to be strong people. We need to be have, have a strength of character. We need to, yes, these guys are like, wow, what's the deal here? And they were learning, but they stayed with him and grew. Peter became a pillar in the church. Come on, he preached the first sermon on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people got saved. You know, and he had this situation later, he denied the Lord. But he bounced right back and came back and was strong in faith and was used mightily of God, walked closely with the Lord. What's the potential of our lives? I think it can be much higher if we'll recognize there is a ministry of the Spirit of God that will tell it like it is. He'll shoot us straight. He'll give us His Word to help us rise and not go backwards and go down. Amen. There have been some times in in my life where individuals have that I had respect for and appreciated that have pointed out different things for me. 
And at the time, I really kind of didn't like to hear it. Kind of uncomfortable. Like, ah, really? I did that? Mm, I, mm, I'm that way? And, and, and you know, I, I could just run away and, ah, you're attacking me. Mm, you know, bless God. Or receive and change and be better. I remember when I was first starting, I first started preaching just a you know, couple years in, and uh, someone, a pastor said to me, you ever notice how you always say such and such and, uh, it, while you're speaking? And I said, no. <laughs> I didn't know I said that. And, uh, and so I went back and listened and stuff and pointed it out, and I thought, junk. That's right. And it was diminishing from what I was trying to communicate. It was diminishing from what I was trying to say. I kept using a certain phrase again and again, and it came across as condescending. And, uh, and, and I didn't realize I was doing it. And then when I found out, I was kind of annoyed at myself. And then, you know, then I realized everything I said was recorded. And <laughs> I thought, and now they will... They will live in infamy, but thank God most of those things are gone away with the cassette tapes and stuff. And, uh, but I kind of was not happy, but you know, in the long run, I was very happy. I was glad to be able, and it's a small thing, but I was glad, glad to be able to fix that in my life and, and improve in areas. And if we're not open to that type of, or, or things that might be more serious, because some things are more serious and they'll really derail you in life. And, and if someone will challenge us and give us a strong word, it could save our lives. It could help us in so many different areas. Let, let me finish with one scripture here today that, that I believe can really make things really clear. It's Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs the 12th chapter and, and the first verse. Proverbs 12.1. It reads this way, Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge but he who hates correction is stupid and I try not to use that word too much while I'm speaking unless I'm quoting from the Bible but I think that really clears things up really cuts to the chase if you love instruction you love knowledge but if you hate correction you're just stupid stupid I've been wanting to say that for a while stupid (laughs) that is just a stupid thing to do why because correction is designed to fix to make better it removes obstacles and hindrances and allows us to walk with God and experience his blessing his best have a relationship with him that is amazing it fixes us I can relate to other people in my life and my family and co-workers I can do it better if I'm what corrected but if I say oh no you're just you know you're just harsh with me or whatever stupid stupid <laughs> let's stand up on our feet <laughs> Correction is a very valuable thing in our lives. Amen. Let's take a few moments today. We're going to worship God. Let me encourage you. Press right on in. Remember we talked about last time something deep within coming out of us? Let's worship God from a deep place right now. Connect with Him. If He, if he shows you anything, even if it's negative, say, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to fix that because His grace is there to empower you. Amen. Let's have a... Let's have a talk with you.